This episode of Control Watt Delete is brought to you by GoToMeeting. It's that time of year when some of us are spending a little less time in the office and a little more time watching a certain basketball tournament. That's why I recommend GoToMeeting, because that situation definitely describes the listeners of this podcast. But look, with GoToMeeting, you can easily collaborate and present from anywhere. It lets you be a meeting MVP in other basketball references. You can have instant meetings with your team with one click. You can share your screen. You can see and hear your colleagues better with HD video. You can easily record video meetings for later. So, GoToMeeting is free for 30 days. You can start that free 30-day trial at GoToMeeting.com. Just go to GoToMeeting.com and click on the button that says Try It Free. Couldn't be simpler. That's GoToMeeting.com. Hello, and welcome to Control Watt Delete, uh, an increasingly caffeinated uh, podcast from TheVerge.com. I had a Red Bull in here that I was, that was my big joke, and I, I guess I forgot it. Anyway, uh, I'm Neil I. Patel, uh, the editor-in-chief of The Verge. I'm joined, as always, by my friend Walt Mossberg, the executive editor of Verge and co-founder of Recode. Hey, Walt. How's it going, man? It's going well, Neil. I have a Trenta here. Oh, so see, yeah, we are. We're I'm ready. We're ready to go. Um, so I was thinking this week... We got to talk about your column because your column raises some big issues this week: open versus closed platforms, what they really mean. And I was thinking we should do a little bit at the end. There's a big Apple event next week. We should uh, do a little bit of a preview, see what we're see what we're talking about. Cool. So okay. let's get into the column. So while your column this week, there's this debate, and you have been. I don't think people know this. You've been at the center of sort of the open source, closed source debate for a long time because. Years and years ago, when consumer Linux was like trying to be a thing, you were like, it's still not good enough, guys. Um, but now it's the the boundaries are so much fuzzier about what's open, what's closed, what platforms you can use, that that kind of like religious zealotry doesn't really make a lot of sense anymore. That's exactly what I was trying to say in the column. And I'm actually encouraged by the tweets so far. Uh, obviously, not everybody agrees with me, and, and, and shocking as that is, I expected that. But, um, you, you know, I think people do understand that it's a much more mixed and fuzzy picture than the kind of theological polar argument we used to have 15 years ago about this and 20 years ago. Uh, first of all, uh, in the pure open source versus p- proprietary argument, everything is mixed. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it has been for a while, but it's crystal clear that it's mixed. Um, You know, what could be considered more closed or proprietary than Apple's operating systems? And yet they're, and I know you know this, but I don't know that everybody knows it. They're, They're built on not just Unix, but a completely open source version of Unix. Um, uh, Apple in 2014 invented a new programming language, made a big deal out of it actually at one of their events, and a year later open sourced it. So you know, here's the here's the company most often associated in the minds of the open source guys with closed, and yet its most familiar products uh, have an open source foundation and they open source things. Safari is another example for Apple where it's open source. On the other hand, Google, not all of Safari WebKit is open source. The underlying engine of Safari. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I said it wrong. The the, Safari is built on an open source, uh, engine, uh, which which until 2013 was also the foundation of Chrome, Mm -hmm. uh, Google, Google Chrome. Now Google, which, people uh, often associate with open source, certainly has, uh, you know, Android is open source. There's an open source version of Android, I should say. Uh, It actually keeps growing and growing and growing as a percentage of Android installs. I used an analyst's figure of 30 to 40% or something like that in the column, Uh, mostly in China um, and mostly because Google isn't actively... uh, operating in China, but it's it's a growing, growing, growing source. And yet, Google's apps are proprietary. There's uh, an agreement that handset makers sign with Google, which doesn't 
technically force them to put their apps on, but I use the word effectively. It, it effectively, I mean, if you really want to sell a, 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 an Android phone in most markets outside of China, people expect to see Google Maps and Google Search and Gmail and those things on there and the Play Store, certainly. And that's part of this package. You have to put the whole package on. Um, and uh, Google, there are guidelines about where they go on the screens. And those things are not open source. Google also does not make its search technology, which I think could be considered its crown jewel. That is not open source, and nor is its advertising platform, its other crown jewel, or uh, open source. So er- the, the first point is everything's mixed. It's very hard to find a pure open source and a, versus a pure proprietary thing of any importance in the consumer world, if we're talking about on servers in the cloud, there are pure open source things like Apache, which yeah. is a web web server product uh, that consumers never see. Uh, that's open source. So the first thing is it's mixed. The second thing is the definition of the open closed debate has changed, right? Uh, it's changed from open source versus proprietary to something where I think the people at Favor Open really mean... I want to get into this thing and be able to do whatever I want with it, regardless of other considerations like IP or security or whatever else you might have. And some companies saying, no, we don't want you in there at all. But uh, I think even those positions have evolved uh, yeah. to where the the systems that let you get in and tinker have tightened up a bit. And the systems that said you can never get in and tinker have loosened up a bit. So I think the whole thing is kind of a, a hollow, false debate. And uh, these are, it's just like a political campaign. These are <laughs> load, these are loaded, freighted terms that are thrown at, at, uh, at people. Well, I'm curious, what, what, what inspired you to, to write this column this week? Because it, it, it is a loaded column, and a bunch of people read it. I know a bunch of people tweeted at you and talked about it. People really care about it. But was there? Did you have a trigger this week that like you got it? it you you became focused on it for some reason. Uh, it, you know, it grows out of conversations mm-hmm. uh, that you kind of save string on for a while, and uh, I it just occurred to me. I, I honestly do link it to politics. It occurred to me watching one of these debates that uh, you know in tech. Just as in politics, we have these loaded terms. And I thought, well, you know, this is a great... I just was talking about this with someone, and this is a great example. So I think I'll write a column about it. Yeah. And I made, and I talked to uh, Google, and I talked to Apple, and I talked to some third-party people. And and uh, so I just I just went out there and wrote it. Well, so I think one of the, the most interesting pieces of your, the column is something that Dieter and I actually talk about a lot, which is the mobile app or the mobile web apps, the idea, you know, you're talking about all these new versions of open, all these new things. Sometimes just having a robust API is open enough, right? It's just fine. I can talk to your data through this API that you've provided. Well, and frankly, that's what Google does with its ad platform. Mm -hmm. Um, Apple does it with software. It doesn't want you to get into deeply but it says every every year at WWDC you go, um, they say there's two thousand new APIs this year, yeah, and that's I, their way. That's called open uh, interface in a way. It's both right. the thing that lets you write apps for these platforms, Android and uh, OS ten and Windows and whatever, and it's also the 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 more nitty-gritty way you could put features into those apps and, and call other things on the in the operating system. So let's talk let, let's use Apple as the example because that screen you're describing, you know, they always do the five big features and some of the features they demo are always like a little crazy, right? It's like you can put photos in mail easier than ever before. It's like this was not worth our time on stage. But then they always have the screen and there's 5000 new features and they, and they highlight some and it's a, that's always my favorite screenshot after the keynote because you go, go back yeah. and you, you, you read all the details about what's going to happen. But there is stuff about Apple's platform that is decidedly closed, um, particularly the uh, on iOS. For example, uh, Amazon can't sell books in its Kindle app without paying Apple a fee, a 
30% fee, right? You, you've got to go to Safari, hit the button, and do it on the web, and then you can go back to the Kindle app because that's how Amazon avoids the fee. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of background tasks that are still unallowed. So when I set my Spotify to, to download some playlists, I have to keep the app open. I can't close it and let it do it in the background. And there's just like a list of these things. Like it, Some of them are very minor. Some of them are not so minor. But in the end, it's just a matter of Apple has an open platform, but they also control the you know an open platform where you can write application anybody can write an app for it but they control the store and the store is their way of enforcing good behavior on their platform which has a number of good outcomes and a number of places where you, what i think people are getting at is this is a computer and i am used with desktop computers to i'm used to be able to do whatever i want and now you're using the store as a gatekeeper to keep some developers from meaningfully changing that experience i think that's actually kind of important it is, and I talked about it in the column. I did not use those examples. Yeah. And to and to be um, uh, honest, I don't think those are the best examples because I think th- those are more. I mean, you know, Amazon now now wanting to pay the thirty percent thing is is not a, to me a matter of close versus open. It's just a vig, and you know they they say, hey, you, you want to sell in, at Macy's? You know, we get this cut, and they're. I don't think that's an open and closed things, but I, I mentioned two others. Uh, one was uh, the browser. Mm-hmm. Um, there are I don't know how many, but let's just let's just say there's a dozen browsers in Apple's App Store. One of which is a very important one, Chrome, uh, by Google. In fact, just a side note here: one of the weird things about uh, uh, iOS is that um, as much as it's more locked down than, say, Android, its competitors put all their apps there. Yeah. And they keep and they keep them up to date. I mean, they're pretty much even. I mean, there may be a couple little differences, but there's pretty much even with the apps on the native platforms. Them, you know, you, you, you want a Microsoft you want Microsoft Office, great one on iOS. You want Google Maps, fantastic on iOS. You want Kindle there yeah. you want the amazon store you know with the caveat you mentioned it's there um so uh, but but back to the main point so browser uh if you prefer chrome and you download chrome from the a- apple app store <clears throat> you will get the chrome ui which is different than the uh safari ui and you will get the ability to sync with the other uh, instantiations of Chrome that you have, but when you go to render a web page, it's actually the Safari engine, which Google, as I said earlier, uh, abandoned a few years ago, that will um, render the page. And it doesn't do a terrible job or anything, but it's just if if Chrome does it better or differently, you don't get the benefit of that. And Apple says that's a security mm-hmm. matter, which is what they've said. Uh, as they've resisted this and then relented again and again and again. Yeah, but again it's not like again. Macs are full of viruses well, they I'm can getting, run I'm, Chrome. I'm, I mean, you I'm, know? Get, I'm getting to that. Yeah. I'm getting to that. Uh, the other one is making something default. So if you don't like the mail app on iOS, which I, I have criti- I've criticized <laughs> and you've criticized, uh, I think they could do a much better. I think at one time it was an absolute revelation for a mobile device it was a great mail app for that but um you know over time i think it's just fallen behind and uh and and i wrote that and you edited it and we talked about it on the <laughs> podcast and you know uh so you and i both and many other people have other mail apps and they at one time they didn't allow anybody to have a a, a mail this is what i mean by them you know google tightening up a little them loosening up a little it's not exactly equal but it's true so you can have and there are i don't know how, there must be 50 mail apps uh that we can think of for uh uh ios but you cannot make any of them the default mail app and uh that's something that you know makes it more closed and less uh less open than android on the thing you started to say about browsers on the mac this is a question which when i was talking to them i asked them I said, wait a minute. Whoa, you're you're saying that for security reasons, the rendering of any page, whether it's in uh, you know Twitter or 
the Chrome browser itself or email or anything, anything that wants to render a web page has to use your built-in rendering engine. And yet, I'm sitting at a desk on which there is a Mac which has Chrome on it, and that's the complete Chrome stack. Yep. That does not use your rendering engine. So why not make it so on iOS? And their answer was, well, people have different expectations on PCs. And <laughs> but, so for, ma- for many years... That's a different years, answer. That's a, that's a slide, right? It's, it's from, we got to lock it down to security to suddenly expectations. You can imagine my reaction to that answer, but that was their answer. Yeah. Uh, and they were sticking to it. Uh, that, okay... You know, I mean, it was, they didn't say this, but it was almost as if, well, if we could lock down the Mac now, long after we launched it in the way we've locked down iOS, we'd love to do it. You kind of got that sense. Yeah. Um, and even though, I repeat, it's nowhere near as locked down as it was in 2007, the phone, mm-hmm. uh, the you know, the Mac is still, uh, uh, you know, not as locked down as iOS by a long shot. And the, but that's their answer. People with a PC ha- have a different set of expectations. And they do exert some control on the PC because they have an app store there too now. And if you and you can still download and install things that are not on the app store. It's kind of a complicated system that I hesitate to describe because I don't remember every piece of it, but you know, you get warnings and you have to hold down a key and click You're on talking whatever. About Android. No, I'm talking about Mac OS 10, the OS 10 App Store. No, so you, the OS 10 App Store, for I mean, in my opinion, is like a disaster. Like you listen to developers talk about it, and they are they're leaving. I mean, that's why they they just reshuffle Apple reshuffled its executive ranks, put Schiller in charge of it, and they attempt to like fix it. Right? I mean, they built an App Store, but they don't have. And I think this is part of the closed open debate too. When you have a market. Outside, you know, they they control the app store, so they they control the terms of every deal. When you are outside of that, and the developers can control the terms of their deal, they're able to do things like offer free trials and upgrade pricing and subscription, you know, anything that they want to do to try to. Now sell we're you talking about the Mac now, right? But, but even the phone, right? You know, I think one of the the key points to this whole debate, and I, I don't know if you got into this quite specifically, is I that didn't. you probably didn't. Um, is that software on the phone is radically devalued because it's hard to create a market for software on the phone. So most apps are free with in-app purchases. Most apps are 99 cents. There's no business for, you know, $50 productivity apps on the phone or the tablet. Um, Just as on the Mac, there is no business in the Mac App Store for that stuff, but there's a robust business for other big software outside of the app store because they can do all these pricing schemes and upgrades and all this stuff that they need to do to support software at that level. And I think that's a really interesting kind of, it's a tangent to what you're talking about, but Apple exerts this control over the marketplace. The platform is way more open than I think people give it credit for. And that's what you're really getting at. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. But their control of the platform is exerted through the app store uh, has benefits and has drawbacks and i would only say that on the mac uh because of the history which they referenced and which is true i mean remember the mac came out in 1984 um that this this app store they have there is has nowhere near the centrality to the device or the platform that it does on the phone it just doesn't um you know uh even on, uh, of course, on Android phones, you can sideload APKs, which are uh, apps uh, 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 from right. flash drives or whatever you have. I mean, but I would, uh, you know, I, I just don't think they've established the centrality of the App Store on the Mac the way they have because on the, the experience phone. isn't as. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? They're they're not they're not actually competitive with the harder way. The harder way is like. Go to your developer's website, or I don't know, do they even have this anymore? Like some some websites, like you know, collate links to new things or whatever. Um, I'm thinking of download.com, which I don't even know if that exists. Yeah, anymore. well, I, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But like, I always was a little suspicious of that. But okay, sure. But like, whatever. Like, in, that's the hard way, right? You go to Adobe.com and you say, "I'm buying Photoshop," and it downloads to your computer, and you ha- you've made a deal with Adobe, and Apple has nothing to do with it. 
that is the hard way. You've got to know all the developers of the apps. You've got to search for the apps. You've got to find the apps. There's no discovery. The Mac App Store is... I would love to use the Mac App Store more. I'd love to just open it every day. And you know, I used to read when I was in college. I used to read all the Mac websites. There's one I loved called like I think it's it's called Macintosh, and it would just show me new apps. It would be like, here's some new stuff for your Mac, and I like click on them all day long. I would love to do that in the Mac App Store, but the developers don't like it as much. And I think that's really what we're talking about. It's they have a, a closed way of distributing stuff. There's an open way. And on the phone, there's no competition, so everyone is funneled into their closed right. distribution. No, I agree. I agree with you. My, my again, my main point in this column was the terms are fuzzy, yeah, and the debate is sort of false. I think, and then, yeah, and uh, then the other, I, I, and, and and then the other thing, oh, you go ahead. I was going to say, and the this is, I'm sure you and I were about to go to the exact same place. The the all the bundling and mixing and matching of closed pieces and open pieces means that Google might be way more open in terms of how you can distribute software, but they have actually taken open source things, layered all kinds of proprietary stuff on it, and then told people they exert control through the the Google Play Services contract, which is a different thing. And years ago, maybe you remember this, but years ago, there was an outcry over TiVo taking Linux, building the TiVo stack on top of it, calling that proprietary and shipping TiVo boxes out into the world. And there's actually, they called it TiVoization. This is a phrase that I learned as a young lawyer. Um, and they started rewriting open source contracts to prevent TiVoization of people utilizing open source things to build proprietary products without necessarily having to contribute back to the open source community. So it was it was really polarized a long time ago. And now it's you know, obviously been years, decades even, and that mix-and-match hybrid closed-open paradigm is basically the way of the world. Yeah, no, I agree, and and that's one of the reasons I, I wrote the column. Um, um, I had a very powerful CEO of a very powerful company once say to me, you know, Google is trying to make me, uh, th- this is a person whose products ran on sort of the open version of Linux, which is called, um, uh, uh, not of Linux, of Android, which is called Android Open Source Project. Uh, and he said, Google keeps wanting me to sign this contract uh, that would, re- would re- you know, I he, he said to me literally, I'd love to put Google Maps on my thing, but I can't just put Google Maps on it. I have to do this whole thing that they want me to sign. And I don't want to sign it. And he used some you know, stronger words than that. Um, it, what Google calls this is Google Mobile Services. Now, I don't want to demonize it. I, you know, I, I just think it's another example. They, because you can build a completely open Android phone. And as our friend Dieter pointed out to me uh, when he was reading uh, this yesterday before it was published, you, you know, the the Samsung phones that we just reviewed um, start. Uh, as Android open source phones. And then they add the Google mobile services to them. And then they add Samsung stuff, (laughs) which is, which I assume is proprietary. And then they add Verizon or other carrier stuff, which I'm almost certain is proprietary. And so that phone has an open source base and a whole bunch of proprietary stuff on it. I would argue, and and if you know what you're doing, you can kind of get rid of most of that proprietary stuff if you want. That's a small proportion of people uh, who are going to, of the tens of millions they hope to sell this phone to, it's a very small proportion uh, who who will know how to do that. And I would go further, though, in in terms of uh, what Google does and say, I think for most people in the world, the definition of what makes an Android phone is integrated with the with their expectation that they will see these five or ten key Google apps oh, at yeah. least on the phone. Oh, it's a Google. In other phone, words, completely. if you if you give if you walk out on the streets of New York or DC or uh, wherever and you show people a sort of naked Android phone with nothing, I mean nothing added by the handset maker or by Google, particularly by Google. You, it could even have stuff added by Xiaomi or Samsung or whoever it is, you know, a lot of crazy apps, 
some of them attempting to to uh, duplicate what Google has, but they'll say, where's my Gmail? Where's my Google Maps? Where's my that Google search bar that is on the front page of almost every, the front home screen of almost every Google phone with the microphone next to it? I mean, you know, they want, where's Google now? They want all that stuff. And so um, even though it is it is making the phone not a pure open source software product um it's it's now heavily wrapped up in the definition of android in my view yeah oh absolutely all right we should do we got a few minutes left we should do we should switch over a little bit um let's talk about let's talk about a different piece of apple um big event next week what are you expecting Mm -hmm. uh well i'm expecting what pretty much exactly what we've told our readers to expect i think they will um that the biggest things will be they apparently are returning to a smaller sized uh, iPhone, but with updated guts. Uh, two generations ago, if you count the current generation, uh, they were at a four inch screen and they were behind Samsung and others who had gone to bigger screens. They seemed to be resisting doing that. They apparently looked at the data. They saw that people liked bigger screens. And so with the uh, iPhone 6 and 6 Plus, they uh, did not one, but two phones with bigger screens than the ones they had before. But I assume, well, I know anecdotally from my own uh, life's experience with other people, uh, that there are people who feel very strongly that they liked the size of the iPhone uh, 5S, which was the last um, four-inch screen a new one they brought out. And uh, they don't, even if they have the money, even if their contract with the phone carrier allows it, they don't want to go even to a 4.76S uh, now, and certainly not to a 5.5-inch 6S+. Plus. So Apple sees there's a certain percentage of people out there who are not upgrading. That's not something they're used to. And so they apparently, if if what we believe to be true is right, are going to have a four-inch phone, but with many of the upgraded innards of the current bigger phones. Yeah. Why now, do you think? Why not wait until September? Well, because you know, you know there, we presume this iPhone seven is coming out in September. There's a very interesting article, um, which our sister site Recode ran in its wonderful. Uh, by uh, this little plug for Recode, they have a wonderful section, and I was involved in the you know in the decision to do this uh, when I was there uh, called Voices. I, I've never run it, so I don't want to take credit for. It actually what's happened since that decision but voices is like an op-ed page uh, and it has a lot of guest entries in it and uh, a very smart analyst named Jan Dawson um, did a piece about where this four-inch new phone which is we assume is going to be called the the SE but we don't know maybe maybe they'll call it the Cadillac I don't know what they'll call it but um he says the timing is such that these are weak, traditionally weaker quarters for Apple sales of iPhones. Mm-hmm. They have already warned that iPhone sales are going to dip. And if it gets these people who want a smaller phone off the dime, uh, particularly if they price it below the 4.7 inch phone, here you get a new phone, not an old phone, which has been Apple's traditional way of doing it. Uh, you get a new phone um, and you get it for, uh, I don't know, $100 less. And it's just the size you want, but it has uh, all the various security and convenience features that the newer phones have. This might help their help their sales. And so that might be why they're doing it now. Right. That's his theory, at least. Yeah. I, I, don't, I, I, I just think it's, to me... It's and, and we're also expecting a smaller iPad Pro, which the, yeah, which I think I actually think is an important thing. We can talk about that in a minute, but I want you to finish your thought. Oh, it's just to me, it's you know mature mar- markets. And I, I think the smartphone is pretty much at maturity, at least in, in the states. Um, 
you know, they tend to they tend to split and they tend to, you know, you have to target little micro features at different groups of consumers. And I think that's really like a fascinating process. But the simplicity of Apple's product line used to be like the core cultural value of the company. And we're just sort of rapidly getting to a place where the product line is getting enormous, right? I mean... Why, because they have three models? Well, they have three models of phone, whatever. But they have like 90 models of iPads, and I couldn't even tell you which ones they sell and don't sell They really don't. They really don't. Um, They have... What do they have? They have the iPad mini. Uh, Which one? Is it... They have the the, mini two. Well, they have a new... The mini three. The mini mini four. They have the mini four, but they're not all selling... They're not selling all all those other minis. I think they drop off a bunch of the older ones... Maybe selling one older Mini, one newer Mini. I'm looking. Hold on. Uh, so they sell the Mini. Yeah, look. You, you'll know for sure when you look at it. They them. sell the Pro, the Air 2, the Air, the Mini 4, the Mini 2, uh, and then a, a bunch of accessories. And now they're going to add. Yeah, so essentially they have three sizes of iPads and they're selling a, an, an older one and a newer one because the older one is their way of not having to do something that would really make for a ridiculous product lineup, which is to make completely new models that are cheaper. Right, and then they're going to do a smaller Pro. It's kind of in the middle of this. Yeah, but see, I think this could be a really important thing. The Pro is pretty much meant for business and to some extent for education. It is not, it is an unusual Apple product in that it is not mostly meant for a broad mass of consumers. Um, It's meant for, you know, some creative consumer. You know who uses a, a iPad Pro every day in our office is uh, James Barham. The pho- he's our creative director. He's a photographer who took the photos of the first lady on the perfect. site. He's the, he's the perfect Yeah, every, literally every that. day he's, he's on that thing. Yeah, but nobody else in the office. Is <laughs> no one them. else is touching it, but and, he loves it. And I'm sure some enterprises use them, yeah. or at least that's what their hope, their hope is. I think it's actually could be a very important thing for them, particularly given the the fall in iPad sales to say, here's an official, I mean, essentially it would be a, I don't know what they're going to call it. And I know everybody's all interested in it. Is, will it be a pro? Will it not be a pro? But I think the, the message they would be sending if we're right about this is here's an iPad. It's thin. Uh, maybe it's a little thicker than the last one because to do the pencil thing, you have to make it a little thicker. But this iPad has a special connector that has an Apple-made, Apple-designed keyboard with no shortcut keys, uh, and and it accepts if you want to use one a pencil. And you know, to me, one of my criticisms of the iPad Pro was it was really too big to yeah. work with, uh, except on a desktop for a long period of time. But I, and I want to. I think this is the thing. This is where open versus closed comes right back to hurt Apple, right? The iPad Pro is a huge screen. It is a remarkable product, right? Like having watched James use this thing to, I don't know if you saw Casey Newton's like life and death in the app store screen. James just drew that with a pencil, the lead image. That he drew it with a pencil. Yeah, that a was pencil, great. That was a great and he thing. he yeah. comped it onto a photo of a whiteboard. Um, and I watched him use it. I was like, this thing is incredible. It's a super, you know, it's like a huge piece of glass with a supercomputer underneath it. But, because the software is locked down and it is a li- just, it's just minor tweaks on the same iOS that runs on the iPhone, right? Like the, it's the same stack. It's there's some little stuff here and there that makes it yeah, an iPad. I'm sure it is, yeah. You can't do computer stuff with it. So the developers are waiting for permission from Apple to really harness the full capability of the iPad Pro. I think that's where the the disconnect lies. That's where that's where these things, to, in my mind, are connected. Because if developers could attack the pro and try to mine it for new capabilities, the way that they are able to with a Mac, you, I think, you would see way bigger pickup in enterprise. You would see way bigger pickup with consumers. But instead, they're sort of waiting for Apple to do things like support two Safari windows at once. And it's like, why? Like, why is Apple the gatekeeper on this product in this way? when it should just throw the doors open and see what you can do with a huge piece of glass with a supercomputer underneath it. Maybe they don't think it was such a smart thing for Microsoft <laughs> to try to do the standard PC interface 
and a tablet interface on a piece of glass and that they think it was confusing to people. It didn't work very well. No, I'm still not the standard working thing. Very I mean, well. You can do the Twitter app in Safari open on an iPad Air and on the iPad Pro. Yeah, but you're really talking about letting develop. You're really talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, saying, look, this thing is as big as the screen on a MacBook or a MacBook Air, and it has a lot of computing power in it, and now it has a keyboard that, you know, really is built for it. And it has a stylus if you want to use that for creative things. So why don't we build, why don't, doesn't Apple let it essentially do things that you can do on OS ten, or at least more, more of them? I don't know about that. I, I think it's more like, why not, why impose restrictions on developers through the mechanism of approved? Why yeah. not on this one device say, look, we're gonna let you. We're gonna let people sideload big applications on here. So Adobe, if you want to spend yeah. your time making Creative Cloud for this device, full on Creative Cloud is big and bad as you want, and you can sell it on your own for four hundred, a thousand dollars, whatever, whatever you, however, it, you know, the full range of Adobe's pricing works. Uh, we're gonna let people tick the box and say sideload apps because it's the iPad Pro. And we're going to trust our pro consumers that if they do it, they're going to do it. And just see what happens in that ecosystem. Because that's that's the thing I see with the pro is it's there and they're like, it's going to be great for enterprise. But the enterprise support you need is the developers building these little weirdo one-off apps for it. Yeah, they, it, it, certainly, it certainly could be. I don't think they could build the full uh, or the normal creative uh, suite because that is really built for you know, for graphical user interfaces on sure. uh, on personal computers, Macs or Windows, and not for uh, not for the kind of multi-touch uh, UI that we have on an iPad. And they did, by the way, as you know, bring out uh, Adobe. Apple actually trotted Adobe out on stage <laughs> yeah. and, and around to various briefings. I, I mean, I had a closed-door briefing where there was an Adobe guy in the room showing... Uh, what he said was essentially the equivalent of key. It was broken up into pieces. This did this aspect of creative uh, a suite. This did this other aspect. But he claimed you could do all the pro things. And you just pointed out that James on our staff does a lot of that as well. Yep. So that may have been their thinking. Look, I, I'm not here to defend them. I, I do think they care a lot about uh, locking these things down even though, I'll repeat again, I think they've gotten a lot looser about it than they once were. But I think they care a lot about locking them down because they care a lot about security. It's a big part of their DNA right now to the point yeah. where they're in this giant war with the FBI. They care a lot about it. It's huge to them. And uh, so there's just a lot of vectors and a lot of factors uh, going on there. But that's... So that's what I expect to see next <laughs> week. I, I expect to see, you know, there'll be a new iOS, maybe. Uh, there certainly is going to be a new version of iOS with some major things like a way to change the light on your device at night so it doesn't keep you awake uh, and a bunch of other things. Whether they'll use this event to announce that, I don't know. I don't think we'll see any Macs. There may be some very minor... Uh, Apple Watch things, but I don't think we're going to see a new Apple Watch unless it's really the best kept secret of all. And they've convinced you not to go out there, <laughs> and and then they're going to launch, yeah, super thin five day battery Apple Watch. You know, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I think th I, I think this is going to be a very sort of it's a it's a product update. You know, I, I think we we tend. And Apple certainly has been hyping its recent events to the moon and stars. Um, but, you know, they Apple traditionally has had a number of events throughout the year that here's some new stuff. Like, we hope you like it. Go check it out. And then they, they, save, their, right. they save their power, power firepower for later. And it, this one feels to me very much as though the vibe is, is much more relaxed um, and the, the big stuff will come later in the year. Right. But at, at a company with so many... Uh, successful products and so much influence over the rest of the industry and so much money, I think anything they do in public sets off 
interesting thinking about what it may mean. And um, that's what I'm going to be looking for when I'm out there. Yeah, of course. I got to ask you, I mean, we, we're a little bit over, but whatever. I'll ask you one more question. Um, I think, and we were talking this a little bit earlier, but I think the two big trends this year that I see, one is nascent, is VR, and I, VR is everywhere. And we just did our first VR video, so I've been thinking about it a lot. And everything about VR is like first generation and broken, but like the potential is blindingly obvious once you see the stuff. And the other one is, I don't know if we've really talked about the Amazon Echo on this show a lot, but the other one to me is the Echo. We have, yeah. Um, and I, I'm seeing just the extraordinary amount of interest and attention and developer attention in the Echo. We've written a million things praising it, you know, to hell and back. I, I think Farhad just wrote a, a glowing thing about the Echo in, in the Times. Um, those are the two places where Apple isn't. And, you know, VR is like, it's a baby industry. It's not even, not even, I, I hesitate to say off the ground. That's like too generous of a description for where it is. It is, it hasn't even like woken up yet, right? It's, it's a bunch of parts and you can put the parts together yeah. and it's cool. The Echo, however, is way closer to some sort of finished thing where people understand it, people are excited about it. Um, and it's something that Apple, it feels like Apple could just make it tomorrow, Right, it's it's a speaker and some microphones and some tuning and Siri. Right, you just glued all the. So you're right. We were talking about this yeah. uh, just a few minutes before the podcast began. Um, so I think Apple is certainly working on VR. We've reported that ourselves. I'm not sure they have the the right team in place yet, but they're certainly working on it. They're buying companies and hiring people. I, I have no idea what they're doing exactly, but they're sort of right on their normal time schedule for new technologies, which is they never jump in early when things are in the state you just described, you know, a bunch of parts not put together, you know, the, the, the giant goggles are still needed in most cases. Although I watched the Michelle Obama video on an iPad with no goggles or no anything, and it looked fantastic. Um, instead of craning my neck, which you do in those goggles, to see the ceiling or the floor or the far left side or the far right side, or using my eyes, you know, I just used my finger on the screen of the iPad. If it was a phone, Android or Apple, um, I would probably have tilted the phone. Um, but you know their their way of of operating is to wait, have a whole bunch of people try different things. Some of which, you know, aren't really ready for the kind of market they want. You you know, Oculus. You need a a, a, a big computer to power it. A Gear VR is a different story. But um, Google Cardboard and and some of these others work with iPhones now. So um, there are VR products that work with with iPhones uh, and certain special apps you can download, which are in the App Store. Uh, so, But I think they're just waiting and um, they could blow it because they're certainly not perfect. But if they are thinking about it, they're thinking about playing a longer game and not jumping in right now when everything's confused and primitive. They're waiting till they can say, Here's a polished, finished thing. As far as the Echo goes, I know nothing about what they're doing, but I completely agree with you that um, if they believe there is a, a profitable business in essentially taking Siri, uh, which has you know, been around even longer than Amazon's Alexa. And by the way, we should say right now that <clears throat> whether it's Alexa on the Echo Siri on the iPhone, Google now on uh, Android, or Cortana on uh, Microsoft products. All these things have some limitations. Some are better at certain things than others. You try to ask any of them certain kinds of questions and you get very unsatisfying answers. And then the next minute you ask a question, it's yeah. like magic. So, but in terms of building a stationary physical device, so you're not... Uh, carrying around a phone or having to do it with a phone or a watch or a, uh, you know, a tablet. Uh, they could certainly do that. Uh, 
uh, or just putting Siri in everything. They could put Siri in Apple TV. They have put Siri in Apple TV, but right now all it does is search for things that are related to TV. There's really no reason they couldn't do more with it. I don't know what they're doing, but I agree with you. It's low-hanging fruit. It's there. And not to knock Amazon in any way, which is moving incredibly fast to hook up with what in that business are called domains. Mm -hmm. So a domain is sports scores. A domain is, um, you know, fitness. A domain is restaurants, you know, whatever. Apple has Siri linked to a bunch of domains and presumably is intending to do more. uh, And Google does and, and Microsoft does. So, yeah. Apple could do this. I mean, it's not a hard hardware. Not again. I don't mean to criticize Amazon. In fact, they deserve a lot of credit for doing this first. But you know, I'm there's an echo one foot from the microphone <laughs> I'm talking into. Well, I'm it, looking at it. It's turned off, so yeah, it's not going to. It's gonna, not going to It's not interrupt us. But um, <clears throat> Apple could build that. It's well, nice. Looking. This actually goes back though to open versus closed, right? I mean, a, a, a huge part of what makes the echo or the yeah the Echo compelling and Alexa powerful. Um, by the way, you know, I just call it Alexa now. I don't even call it the Echo. But anyway, a huge part of what makes the Echo compelling and Alexa powerful is that anybody can write these like little voice powered apps for it. It's extensible. It's not open in the way that we, you know, oh, it's open source. Yeah, it's not open. It's an API. It's an API, but it is an API that is far more accessible to developers than no, Siri. No, I don't agree. It's just, it's just, well, then Siri, yes. Not than iOS overall, but than Siri. Right. So how hard would it be for Apple? As we're doing this podcast, they may have a team of engineers working on that kind of an API for Siri and then be uh, prepared to announce at some point. <laughs> that would be cool. Maybe even next week. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, and that's not don't, – don't, no, nobody should trade stocks based on that. That was a complete <laughs> if joke. If you're trading sh- stocks based on this show, <laughs> you should be out of money by now. You you should have yes. your money taken away, your, yes. your walk license away, revoked. Walk away from the device <laughs> right now. Um, Shut off your E-Trade account. Get out of there. Your children are at stake. Yeah. Um, uh, but – uh, yeah, they could do it. We both know they could do it. Yeah, I mean, it's just funny to me. Uh, their big bet and the industry's big bet, and this is what you were talking about. Everybody pays attention to Apple, so Apple's like, we're making this bet, and Samsung, like three months before, is like, we made the bet early. Here's the Samsung Gear Watch or whatever. Um, Apple's big bet last year was on the wearable. It was on the watch, and it's you know they have a bigger watch business than anybody else. It's yeah, they're Apple. They, their scale is enormous. But where the interest is and where the developers are is not there. And it's in these other two little things. And again, VR could just bomb. Like, Don't get me wrong. But it, it feels, the power of VR to me feels, and we have a, a Vive upstairs. We have an Oculus on the way. Um, I was playing with a Gear VR um, at South by Southwest with a bunch of people. The, the way people react to it, you can just see. There's going to be an, a, a flood of of interest and activity in this space because it's so powerful. And then, and and without any, you know, I don't have any inside secret knowledge on this, but just what I read in highly reliable places like the bird is that they, they are going to do it. And I just, I'm just pointing out that if you look at their history, it's not like them to do it at this point in the cycle. No, that, and so, but that, but the, so yeah, the, we'll see what they do. A, a heated agreement. They, uh, is I presume their goal would be to come along in eighteen months or two years or whenever it is, and do and and bring out something gorgeous and beautiful and less burdensome uh, than what's out there now. Just like I mean, there were MP3 players for the sure. iPod. You know all this. Just like. The iPhone was so much better than the BlackBerry and the Trail. But here's what I'm, here's the pushback, and then and then we should we've gone way over. But here's my pushback on that. Um, the the Rio sucked, right? Like the 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 creative players all sucked. The BlackBerry was fine, but it had no elegance. The Windows was you know at that time was fine, had zero taste. That's like Jobs' famous line. I think he said well, it to it, you. It had zero taste, but it had a lot of other. It had a lot of other stuff. These new competitors, 
they all all these people grew up in the in the church of jobs right i mean they are putting design elegance into their products they are putting consumer first thinking into the products it's hard to put design elegance and consumer thinking into something that requires those goggles that's uh, all i would say and fair. maybe if i were tim cook or if i were johnny ive if i were whoever it is that's running this i would be thinking how can i do this without the goggles I don't know. Maybe, well, um, <laughs> maybe, but uh, like, it's not terrible, right? You you, you just put them on, how and then I, you're not how, in the room I, anymore. Yeah, right. I, the I Echo understand. is like a well-designed product, the, so you can't swoop the, back into a market and say, yeah, we've designed you, it better." You just talked about two radically different things. What makes the Echo so cool is you can put it into a room, and it looks pretty. It, you know, it sort of fades away, and you can just talk to it if you have to or if you want right. to um but it isn't a big a big uh jarring I mean, it's, thing it's, i will introduced. say it's not like the world's most beautiful thing it's clever it, and it like it it's, it's okay invisible. and they've done a, they've just introduced a couple of other ones that will work with other speakers and if you prefer that and things like that um i i think the vr thing is still more problematic and again i'm not i'm really not defending them they they could be nowhere in that market uh, they also you know they're they're torn a, a bunch of ways. They're they're trying to uh, they're trying to revive the smart you know or, or preserve their their smartphone cash cow. They're trying to do, do something about tablets. They're still interested in the Mac, which as we've said in previous podcasts is actually a huge business that people don't realize. And they're building a car. Um, they got a lot going on, and um, uh, that's not. An excuse, but I hey, I'm not an Apple shareholder, yeah. and I never have been, so I don't really care. No, I just, uh, I, I, I just think I just care about great tech, and we care about Apple because they have managed to ins- to both produce and inspire great tech yeah. for most of our adult lifetimes, and um, that's why we care about Apple. And sadly, there have been a lot of other companies that haven't done that. We care about Google for similar reasons, right? And um, you know, Amazon has not done inspiring hardware. That's one of the interesting things about the Echo. So we'll see. Yeah. Now it's, and there'll be many more podcasts about this stuff. <laughs> I don't think we're going to stop talking about it. Anyway, we're way over. Uh, and next week we'll see. You know, they, they could they could go crazy. Um, anyhow, that was our show. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can give us feedback. We love your feedback. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. Walt is at Walt Mossberg. I'm at Reckless. You can, uh, people always laugh at me, but I say this, open iTunes on your desktop if you so dare. Uh, yeah, you you really got attacked for that <laughs> last got week. Mad at me. Open iTunes anywhere, man. Figure it out, uh, and then give us five stars because that's the number of stars that Walt and I. Frankly, prefer. I don't care if you use the podcast app yeah. on the iPhone. Yeah, go crazy. Which, frankly, I'm not 100 percent sure why people hate so much, but what the hell? I don't <laughs> Who care. knows? Just find use a place to rate want. us and give us the maximum rating. That's all we're really saying here. And in fact, I want you to use only an just for an experiment only an open source app this week. <laughs> Yeah, live a fully, your... completely open source app. Yeah, and, and tweeted us about it because I'm sure there's a great Twitter client for you. Um, anyway, we have a whole family of other podcasts. Let's see if how many of them I can remember because they, they grow by the week. Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask on the Recode Network. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode, which is wonderful. Peter Kafka, one of my favorites, hosts Recode Media. Uh, and then on the Verge side, we've got uh, What's Tech with Chris Plant, which is wonderful. We have Verge ESP Entertainment Science Podcast with Liz Lapato and Emily Yoshida. And then we have the Vergecast, which uh, is I host uh, on Thursdays live at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. So check that out if you're around tomorrow. Um, other than that, I think that's it. Great show as always. Well, thanks for, thanks for being around. Yeah, a lot of fun. Take care. 